Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be doing Exodus 22, and we did Exodus 21. We actually have three shows now on Exodus 21, so everybody should be an expert on Exodus 21 if you've listened to all three shows. If you haven't, we'll be putting them up at preparingyou.com under Exodus 21. Uh, some of them won't go up for another nine days because that's the agreement we have with the other broadcasting networks that we use. Several of them will be up there probably within a day or so. Eventually all three of them up there. All three, uh, all of the chapters will be up under each chapter. And you can go there with all the side notes. And we almost always increase the side notes after we do the show because there are things that come up and there are questions that people ask and so we add more to the side notes and uh which hopefully will you don't necessarily need all that again we're not trying to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we're trying to eat of the tree of life but we're also trying to learn to set down all the other knowledge that we've already been given and taught that just ain't so because that's gotten us into a lot of trouble. We've all returned to the bondage of Egypt in every country all around the world. Uh, we, we no longer own all our labor. We have to bow down and serve other men. And those men don't always make decisions in our best interest because those men are sometimes out-and-out tyrants. Many times they are... Uh, subservient to men who would be tyrants. And there has been an idea coming along for almost a 100 years or more that uh, there are too many people in the world and there seems to be a lot of people that want to eliminate large sections of the population uh, so they can reduce it down to the controllable ones. And uh, listening to Jordan Peterson's uh, uh, show on Exodus in uh, must have been... Episode 10, somebody was talking about uh, some Greek god or Greek tyrant that uh, was saying, how did, you, how did your kingdom last so long? And he asked that question. And uh, the guy who was being asked just kept going through the field that he was in. He was in a wheat field or a barley field. And he was just scything off all the really tall... Uh, Barley or wheat that was in the field. He just cut off the tops of all the ones that were sticking up a little higher than all the others. And, uh, of course, that was the answer. Is that anybody who sticks their head up, we cut it off. And, of course, this is, this is what China is doing. You know, and they also went through a list of things that you would have to do. You would have to keep the people exposed uh, out in the open so that you would know what's going on all the time and all this stuff. And, of course, the social credit scores and all that stuff is a part of that. That surveillance state 
and now with AI coming online, the surveillance state is a real possibility. So they can watch everything you do. And anybody who sticks their head up gets it cut off or they get knocked down to size. And that's the plan. But that's one way in which the plan is implemented. There's other ways that have been going on for years, and I've said it many times. The reason we have wars every 20 or 30 years is to kill off brave men. The people that want tyranny in the world, want control in the world, want all the power, even power they don't need. They just want power. That is, that is their lust for power. They have wars, yeah, to make a profit and to make money, but to reduce brave men in the world, to kill them off, to wear them out, to exhaust them. Because if brave men were allowed to flourish, tyranny becomes more difficult. But uh, anyway, so that that's another aspect. It's it's the basic, the same thing. The idea of cutting off anybody who sticks their head up. Uh, it's the same as the social scores and 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 keeping people in line. But also then there's the book 1984 where the opposition is actually a part of the the tyranny. And they, they provide this control opposition so that you think that you're going to overthrow something or you're going to overcome something and you're actually playing into their hands. There's all kinds of tactics in which it plays out. And then I mentioned AI. And, of course, that's Elon Musk worried about AI. A lot of people are worried about AI being so smart it will take care to take over for everybody. Well, the problem is AI can't eat of the tree of life. <laughs> AI is just eating of massive quantities of the tree of knowledge. And I've I've already seen it in the AI that they have. You can bias the AI based on the input. And of course that's how that's what they did with you. They biased you during COVID with the input that they gave you. You know, you if you watch CNN and and MSNBC and all these stations you won't know what's going on. Like, But this is not new. Again, back to Thomas Jefferson. Uh, if you uh, don't read the paper, you'll be uninformed. If you do read the paper, you'll be misinformed. But So what is the real answer? How will you know what's really going on? And of course, you'll have to go to the true mountains of Samaria, which the, means the mountains of truth. And that mountain of truth, you have to be willing to see the whole truth if you're going to see the whole truth and be able to provide for it. AI probably will never see the whole truth. See a lot of stuff, but it will not see the whole truth. And it cannot eat of the tree of life. But you also cannot eat of the tree of life unless you're willing to see yourself as you really are. I mean, Adam and Eve did not want to see their mistake. They didn't want, want to see their trauma. So they fled the tree of life. They could not bear the light of day at the, you know, of the, of the fiery cherub at the tree of life and they fled it. Of course, they were hiding right away. As soon as they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they hid right away. Now, you know, the, the story of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'm, 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 I'm just using that metaphor. I don't know exactly what was taking place in this eating of the tree. You know, I mean, was it a tree? Was it a beech tree? Was it an apple tree? Or is it all a metaphor story? 
it doesn't really matter. I'm trying to get to the point of what is really going on and what is the solution for liberty under God. Because liberty under God is the only real liberty you got. You you might have a benevolent dictator, but it's it's going to eventually go bad. Now, one of the things that they talked about in episode 10, so one of the things in episode 10 that Jordan Peterson brings up around 50 minutes in, and they're talking about, let's do a a slight review. You can go back to the show that we did this morning to find out more about it. But again, the Ten Commandments are the Ten Statements explaining the law of nature, the patterns of the law of nature in the universe that have to do with the activities of man. I mean, you could also talk about the law of nature with gravity and the law of nature with thermodynamics, but the ten statements are about the relationship of man and the creator of the universe. We're made in the image of that creator, so we have certain powers of creation that other animals don't seem to manifest. And we have some sort of choice built into that. Everything we decide to do is not necessarily the product of our individual personal choice, but maybe the product of some choice that we made somewhere along the line. And if you choose to follow the pathway of righteousness, you will follow according to the Ten Statements. But you have to understand the Ten Statements in order to check whether or not you're really following that pathway laid out by this explanation of the laws of the universe in relationship to the man's relationship with God and man's relationship with man. And what is likely to happen with anybody who does not want to see the whole truth is they will manufacture definitions of the ten statements that are true. They will unmoor the metaphors and they will worship the metaphor rather than the meaning of the metaphor because they unmoor the meaning of the metaphor from the story, from the statements. And then they worship the metaphor rather than what the metaphor meant. They serve the metaphor rather than serve what the metaphor was meaning to impart to you with these ten statements. A perfect, a perfect example is they will take Saturday off and they think they will be keeping the Sabbath and they, they can create all kinds of formulas. You know, they can turn Sunday into the Sabbath for them. Uh, they can do all kinds of things around it. But the key thing is they will think they're keeping the Sabbath when they did not work six days first so that they could take a day off. Instead, they will borrow against the future, go into debt, and then pretend to keep the Sabbath by taking Saturday off. And they'll they'll cloak it in more and more rituals all the time. You know, more and more, you know, you, you also have to do this, and you have to start as soon as sundown on uh, Friday night, and, and you can't walk more than so many steps, and... And you can't do this and you can't do that. You have to do this and you have to do that. And they'll create all kinds of things just so they don't have to look at the simple thing 
that the Sabbath is about working first and earning a day of rest, which you haven't done if you borrowed against the future and the future of your children and gone into debt so that you're back in the bondage of Egypt. Which, of course, is exactly where 99% of the people in the world are as they're back in the bondage of Egypt because they did not properly figure out what the Ten Statements were all about. They've returned because these statements were given to you because this was the God who delivered you out of the bondage of Egypt. So now I'm going to give you ten statements so that you never return to the bondage of Egypt. If you're not following those statements, you will find yourself in the bondage of Egypt. And it's very easy to explain to almost anybody, anywhere, just from basic reading of English or Spanish or, you know, your Spanish translations or your Hindu translations or your, if you read it in the original Hebrew, it's very easy to say, Wait a minute. In the bondage of Egypt, 20% of my labor belonged to the government. Today, 20% or more belong to the government. So, that's like the bondage of Egypt. In the bondage of Egypt, I didn't really own my land. It belonged to the government, but the government let me stay on it. That, and we have whole books that show you that's exactly where you're at now, because legal title does not include the beneficial interest of the land. You don't own the land. You have an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. That's right out of the law dictionary. We explain all that. People say, well, I never heard anything like that. Well, okay. (laughs) I'm not responsible for what you haven't heard. I'm responsible for what I'm telling you. And that's why I have tens of thousands of footnotes and references to show you that you don't own your land, you don't own your labor, and you don't own your children. And you're back in the bondage of Egypt. Very easy to prove, very easy to explain to anybody who wants to hear. If you don't have ears to hear, you don't have eyes to see, you're going to say, oh, I don't have anything to do. I'm just saved because I believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, go off and do that if that's what you want to do. I mean, I'm just giving you the opportunity of choice. I'm not making you make a choice. So anyway, Ten Commandments, Ten Statements. If you're following the way, You won't be in the bondage of Egypt. If you find yourself in the bondage of Egypt, you're not following the way. So now it's up to you to figure out where you went astray. And that's what we're telling you. Now, we go into 21. We start reading all the statutes of Moses. Which, as we said this morning, are not statutes. They're judgments. They're judgments explaining. Because just before that, Moses empowered the people to decide each case applying the fact and the law. Now he's going to give them precedents, judgments, so that they can figure out what the law is. And then they have to combine that with mercy and their judgment to give a judgment to the case that they're examining. And they look at previous cases, previous judgments, in order to do it. They're not statutes. Nobody's making more of them. Somebody has divided them all up and turned them into 613 different laws. But they're not laws. They're judgments. They're judgments that are to help you decide fact and law. So, now, if you go into a court 
in whatever country you're in, Canada, England, Australia, the United States, most of the South American countries, all had at one time a system of law where the jury could decide fact and law. Now, at different times in history, they got away from that. They forgot about that. Now, it's pretty much universal. Everybody has forgotten about it. <laughs> and so, we have articles explaining what that is. But if you don't have the power to decide fact and law anymore, if you're getting on juries that don't have the power to decide fact and law, you're probably not keeping the ten statements. You're not following the path. So you're in the bondage of Egypt. You don't have the right to decide fact and law. Uh, you don't own your labor. You don't own your land. You don't own your children. All this is because of that. So when we look at these judgments, I'm just doing it to give you an inkling of what it's like to tend to what Jesus calls, he condemned the Pharisees because they weren't doing this, Tending to the weightier matters, which is law, which includes judgment, mercy, and faith. And it includes it on the micro, because each individual in the kingdom of God has that responsibility of deciding what is mercy and faith. And that's a responsibility. What, what is, you know, law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's his responsibility. You don't have it anymore in most countries because you've waived your right to do what God wanted you to do. And he wanted you to do it to keep you from becoming a psychopath. That's what all this is designed to do, is to keep you from becoming what Polybius would call perfect savages which would become rioters. That's another word we see, that you you don't become riotous or rioters, where you become chaos, authors of confusion. And if you actually tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, you will become immune to becoming tyrants, to even immune to being Subject to tyrants, you will be immune to that. They won't be able to even come near you. They they will flee you, like Adam and Eve fled the light. So that anyway, so that's a, another. I just summed it up again, so that you can see it. And uh, but that one of the final things that we talked about, and we'll talk about it again and again and again, because it's very important, because it's going to keep coming up is that there is nothing in these judgments that is telling the people to put other people to death. That is not what the words are saying. They're not saying put people to death. Mem vav tav. Yad vav mem tav. They're not saying put people to death. Which is what? Uh, mat, uh, imat. Is that what it is? I'd have to look it up to see. <laughs> I, can't, I can't always remember all these things. But anyway, to me it's very clear when I look at the letters, because after a while when you understand the letters, you're just looking at the letters and you're saying, oh, I get what he's saying, I get what he's saying. And you're following it like a fish goes upstream. And, but if you've got all these other things in your head, it will, it will 
continually plague and confuse you. And so you want to be able to overcome that. But ultimately what will help you overcome it is the Holy Spirit. And that's the other thing. If you're attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, and you're doing it, sacrificing your own pride and your own vanity in that process, it will draw you near that Holy Spirit. If you're, you know, if you're dealing with mercy, you also have set up a system of social welfare that operates through charity. And, and that is showing mercy, where you're helping out people who may have stumbled, may have screwed up, uh, did something, and you're gonna help out those people so that they don't fall prey to the elements of the world. That you'll, you'll help them out with, uh, sacrifice. Because it's really about sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. Charity is love. Same word for love, same word for charity. In the New Testament, and the word charity doesn't found anywhere in the Old Testament, but we do see words that mean free will offering, which is like charity, and they come from a word that means to draw near. So charity, sacrifice, will draw you near. You, you're not saved by the blood of Jesus unless the blood of Jesus is flowing in your veins. And the blood of Jesus will not flow in your veins unless you reach out humbly... And touch God and receive that divine spark. And not afraid to receive, because with that divine spark will come light. And with that light you will see the error in yourself and the trauma in yourself. And unless you're willing to see that error and trauma in yourself, you will not be able to have that divine spark in your heart. And so now I'm overlapping, I'm, I'm jumping over a lot of things that we talked about this morning. That divine spark is the relationship of man and God. Uh, and that connection to God that we see a little bit of God in that spark and that gives us that in that spark we receive revelation and we begin to say I don't think that's true I think this is a better way I think this is the direction I gotta go I think this is what I, I need to experience and uh, and you're led You're drawn to the Holy Spirit by your willingness to love your neighbor as yourself, care for your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, you need to be caring for your parents as well, but you also need to be caring about your neighbor as yourself, willing to lay down your life, love your neighbor, sacrifice for your neighbor, and then you will draw near God. And the closer you get, it's like, you know, I I used to equate it to, you know, plutonium. That you get two pieces of this uranium plutonium and you bring them together and you get them closer and closer and all of a sudden you get to a point where it's critical mass and boom! You have this giant flash, almost explosion and it it can kill you. (laughs) But it can also drive out evil. But that's what you're doing is you're getting to that critical mass. In order to get to that, you have to be drawing near God by doing things the way God would do them. That's why you're to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. So you're going to be trying to be as benevolent with other people as you would want God to be benevolent with you, which is why we get statements from Christ like, forgive so that you may be forgiven. Because that's the process. So, anyway, we, we, we covered a lot of ground. 
not put to death. There's no place where it's telling you to kill people. He's not making you a bunch of Hammurabi tyrants so that, oh, I caught, I saw him cutting wood on Saturday, so let's go kill him. Let's uh, put him to death. Let's stone this guy. Let's everybody get a rock and we'll hit him with rocks until he's dead. Is that really how Moses is delivering the people? No, he started out with a lot and lots of people. But their numbers weren't that great when they finally got to Canaan. Were they more when they got to Canaan? No. People were falling away. Oh, we don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. And of course we see the same thing with Christ. The crowds following him. But then the crowds thinned out when you had to take back your responsibilities. So anyway, we're going to look at 22 now. We're going to go into 22. But I wanted everybody to understand that because we're going to see more of these judgments. And we're going to try to get a little bit more picture of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And to, Now he's, all the people don't have God written on their hearts and their minds. So he's taking institutions and, and practices that already exist. And he's saying, if you have this situation, this would be fair to deal with it. Uh, if you have this situation, this would be fair to deal with it. So you can look at all this and study all these. Now all of a sudden the 613 laws are really not very many. It's, it's not huge, but it's giving you an idea how to make judgments when you decide fact and law. Verse 1. If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five ox for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Now, why five and four? I'm not really sure. Just just making note of it. But what if he stole your semi-truck? <laughs> you have to give him five semi-trucks or the value of five semi-trucks back? Wow. That's a lot. So how are you going to pay that off? You didn't have enough to buy your own to begin with. Now you're supposed to pay back five or even four. How how, how do you do that? Well, that's how you get indentured. <laughs> that's how you go into debt. So basically you don't want to steal. And you certainly don't want to steal and get caught. So he's setting up these rules that you intentionally chose... You know, it's different if you accidentally damage. But if you choose to go out and take something away from somebody else, there's a penalty. So, number two, if a thief be found breaking up and be smitten, that he die. In other words, breaking up, breaking in. He's breaking into somebody's house to steal. He's breaking into your granary to steal it. And you catch him and it's in the dark, you know, and, and you hit him and he die. There shall no blood be shed for him. Nobody's going to get into trouble for that. He was in there trying to take away the life of somebody else, so he forfeited his own life. Now, you can't try to kill him. You just try to stop him, and if you, in that process he's killed, you're not going to be held responsible. Because he made the choice to become a thief. If the, I could tell you all the criminal activity you see going on in many of these... Uh, uh, woke cities would not be going on if we were keeping this rule. <laughs> I could guarantee you that crime would drop quickly. But you need a moral people in order to enforce such a system. If the sun be risen upon him, 
there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. What did I tell you? That's how you get indentured. You know, he's got to work this off. Somebody else could come along and says, well, I'll hire him and his wages will go to paying this off. So hopefully he didn't steal too much. But he has to make restitution. Your present prison systems that you have set up, there's no restitution. If somebody steals from you, they break into your house, they steal a bunch of stuff, and they burn the stuff they don't want, and they hawk the stuff they did want, you don't get any of it back. If he gets caught, he goes to jail, and you're going to get a higher tax bill. Because they're going to spend tax money housing him for a year or two years or three years or four years where he's going to learn how to do all kinds of other criminal things. Your entire criminal justice system in America needs overhauling if it's going to conform to a more honest system. Because in this system, there is restitution. You know, if he steals your car and wrecks it, he owes you a car. He actually owes you a couple cars. And we'll even see if he borrows your car and wrecks it. He owes you a car. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, because we were talking about oxen. I know somebody who got their car stolen. They found it, but didn't have any tires, didn't have an engine anymore. <laughs> it was, they didn't just take the radio. They stripped everything out of it. So pretty much that car was dead. <laughs> I saw another one, a uh, Honda Nissan that somebody stole and they took it down a railroad track and there wasn't any locks on it and the shocks were all wrecked and, and, uh, it was, and somebody gave me the car. He thought he was gonna be bringing me a car that was in better shape. It was terrible. But it ended up I bought another Honda Nissan that was in pretty good shape, but it needed a hood and the hood on this other one was okay so I took, needed a few other things, but I took robbed off a number of parts off of the one that was totally destroyed <laughs> and I still have that that uh, little Nissan out, outside my window there and it still runs now and then <laughs> it's it's my little mule I d- don't take it on the highway but uh, we take it in the back roads and stuff like that it's a handy little vehicle for checking irrigation and what have you but point is back to what he's talking about here and there's restitution. Make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. He's going to have to pay it back. And I give you lots of examples in earlier programs of how that should work today in today's law. But the reverse is taking place. And all of you are going to church. All you Jews are going to the synagogues. All you Christians are going to church. And you're not doing anything about it. And I've given lots of examples. How a judge stole a guy's property. He just filed it like it was his, and the guy tried to fight it. He had to hire a lawyer. He had to pay a retainer. And before you know it, he was paying more. And he says, every time I we try to take it to court, the judge changes the venue, and then I have to pay my lawyer more. It's not worth it. I just I just walk off and resign myself to I just lost the property. That judge, I know that judge, Judge Gregory, he stole that guy's property on purpose. He's not from our county. He's in another county, another city, long ways away. But I knew somebody who lived in that town, so I was familiar with his story. 
He just literally, right in broad daylight, stole that man's property that he inherited from his parents. He had no right to it whatsoever. But he just finagled it out of the guy and got away with it and there wasn't anything you could do about it. Because all you people were in church. You didn't, you didn't tend to the weightier matters. There your neighbor was being robbed. And he could, he could mention it to people at his church. They wouldn't do anything. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, okay. Praise Jesus. I'm saved by the blood. No, you're not. Because you're not tending to the weightier matters. I mean, the Pharisees were condemned for not attending to the weightier matters. And you certainly aren't doing that now. Injustice every day is going on. A lot worse than that. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people are going to die at the hands of the modern Christian and Jewish apathy. And even some of those that are active, like Dennis Prager, like Ben Shapiro, they still don't understand the Ten Statements. They worship the metaphor. They're Orthodox Jews. They worship the metaphor. They probably have different pots for their milk and meat. Because they don't understand the text. And, you know, if they they hear these recordings, if they hear this message, I'm going to hopefully get this on YouTube as well. We'll see what they do. But I'm not doing it to pass judgment on them. But judgment is coming. You cannot do this halfway. You cannot do this pretend. You've got to do this all the way. Uh, number four. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, that's where we started that, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore it double. So, he's still got to pay. He stole it. He's still got to pay. Okay, you stole his truck. You give it back his truck. Maybe you haven't run down the railroad track. It, it's still working, it's functioning, it's still alive, it's still got, you know, he didn't do any real damage to it, but you now owe him another truck. Because <laughs> you got to pay him double. Even if you don't hold him to that. And of course, these are judgments talking about oxes, asses, and sheep. They're not te- necessarily talking about a pickup truck, but the same, as you sit down in a jury of tens, hundreds, and thousands, and you begin to decide fact and law, you need to say, well, like, you stole this. Yeah, you're giving it back, but you owe them more. Because, you, you know, we had to catch you and you had to return it. So you're going to have to pay a little bit more. And you can come to some sort of agreement. You get to decide fact and law. These are just judgments. If, if you If you worship these judgments and make these law... Then you're not deciding fact and law. You're just, you're just worshiping these words. You're, you're not tending to mercy. Because everybody who steals his neighbor's car, it's not the same thing. If, if I came to a street, everybody on the street had a, a Nissan Sentra. I think that's what they are, Nissan Sentra. All the same year. All the same color. All blue. <laughs> they're all all the same and somebody comes on and steals one and somebody else comes on and steals another and somebody else comes on and steals a third is the punishment for each of those robberies going to be the same 
according to these statutes, yeah. But what happened if one of them stole them because he, there was a guy there on the side of the road having a heart attack. And he needed to get him to a hospital right away. And there the Nissan was with the keys in it. He loaded them into the back seat. He jumped in. He looked around for an owner. Couldn't see it. He started it up. And he took him to the hospital. He just stole the car. Right? He just stole it. Stole the use of the car. Okay. Another guy stole the use of the car. And he was just going to go out and joyride. Or maybe he was going to go rob a bank. The third guy was going to go rob a bank and use the car as a getaway car. Those are three different events. One guy's robbing a bank. One guy's joyriding. The other one's saving the life of somebody. Do they all owe... If if all cars are returned at the end of the day, (laughs) do they all owe the person they stole from another Nissan, blue Nissan of the same (laughs) year? If we're going to be strict constructionists of the law, that's the way it's going to turn out. But that isn't what Moses is trying to tell you. He isn't trying to get you to become Orthodox Jews. He's trying trying to show you the ways of righteousness. And he says, you're going to need these judgments to look at and to review so that you get an idea of what justice is. Because you haven't been doing it. And since you all out there haven't been doing it either, we're going over this. So now we're to number five. If a man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten and shall put in his beast and shall feed in another man's field the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard shall be, shall he make restitution. Okay. The church has a field out here on the desert. There's a little meadow that kind of gets sub-irrigated and everything. And we call it the heath field. It's on one side of the property. And we turn the cows over there in the uh, spring. And they graze there till we get the hay off of the other side. We never put the sheep over there because too many coyotes. <laughs> so, And we don't have fences to kind of slow down the coyotes. But uh, anyway, it's just a... It's it's actually a big area, but it's not a lot of grass, so there's not a lot of cows on it. But, uh, so, like, we might put a dozen cows or maybe a little bit more than a dozen cows on it, and they'll feed for a couple of months. Uh, I had a neighbor on the far side of the heath field. He would put too many cows in his side. Every year, every year, every spring, he would put all kinds of like heifers and calves or calves and cows or just too many of something over there. Every year, his cows would break into our side and start eating our new grass. Because our grass is growing up. We're not, we're going to let it grow up. And we don't go up into the desert, up into the mountains, uh, because we don't have any graze up there. This is where we put our cows once the hay fields are going to start growing up. And, you know, the winter is over and the hay starts to grow. We put them over there. So the grass is growing up for us. Their grass is all eaten down because they had too many cows on the air. And they break through the fence. They just literally, like 300 feet of fence was just peeled off the post one year. Over 300 calves were on our side just eating everything down to bare bones. Time and time again. 
I never held them to making that restitution. <laughs> I could have. Uh, I could barely get them to come out and get their cows back. Uh, one guy, there were different ranch managers there. One was pretty good and the other one was, you know, but it was the weekend. I wasn't going to get any of his cows out until the weekday. <laughs> but that was devastating. I mean, he just ate up all our feed in a matter of days. You know, I mean, how long would it have taken 12 cows to eat up, what, 300 cows? Or gonna <laughs> in two days, they're going to eat down what would have taken us a month to eat or more. And this happened every year, every year. Well, I built a new fence, a completely new fence on the proper property line. <laughs> so far, they haven't broke in yet. But they're under different management again, different guys managing it. But this is important. People could die if people got away with doing that. And it's the guy who was doing it to me was the rich man. I was the poor guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I work for God, so eventually it all works out. Trust me. Because I believe, see, this is it. When the Israelites are leaving, Moses is trying to show them, look, you don't have to fight Pharaoh. God will destroy Pharaoh. But how did God destroy Pharaoh? He allowed Pharaoh to destroy himself. Because Pharaoh, when Pharaoh came after the weak and the poor people out there in the desert, he ended up destroying himself. I know how that works. I trust in that. But on the micro, people have to, you know, they're they're dealing with in-house people because injustice happened. Everybody isn't walking in the Holy Spirit. So they, you need to have these people who are judges who decide these things. But it's every man. It, just like I was saying this morning, the reserve fund of Israel was not a golden calf or a golden statue. It was in the pockets of the people. Well, justice was also in the hands of the people because this is the government of the people for the people by the people. You, you follow? And we we'll keep going back to that. So anyway, we see that there has to be a restitution from your best fields to this guy. You can't say, well, okay, we ate up all your fields. I've got an old field over here with a bunch of dry grass and you can use that and that'll kind of pay you back. No, you have to give them the best of your fields. And everybody knows it. So the rich man isn't going to get away with it. When the rich man was doing it to me, nobody cared. Oh, we're, we're over here being saved by the blood of Jesus. We don't care about the fact that he's eating all your hay down. That, that he's eating up all your summer grace. We don't care about that. Because we're saved. No, you're not. You're delusional. Because you're, you're not tending to the way of your matters. If you're all tending to the waiter matters, he never would have done that. He wouldn't have got away with it. But you've turned over the waiter matters to men who exercise authority. Men who take away from your neighbor, take a bite out of your neighbor, who become a beast so that you can have free stuff at the expense of your neighbor. No, you're not saved. No, you're not saved. You're not seeking the kingdom of God. You have to think differently in order to do that. Number six, if fire break out, and catching thorns, so that the stacks of corn, or wheat, or whatever it is, grain, or the standing corn, or the field, be consumed. 
herewith. He that kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. Unless, of course, it's the United States Forest Service. <laughs> Occasionally I've seen them make some sort of restitution, but it's like pulling teeth from a duck. Um, and besides that, when you sue the government, your neighbors pay the price. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the reality is that everybody can, if somebody starts a fire and it burns their neighbor's house down, you owe your neighbor a house. This is how you can become an indentured servant again. But that indenture should only be for a period of time, not for imperpetuity. But this is part of the system because they want to set you free. But in order to be free, you must take on your responsibilities. So, again, restitution for damages. If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house, if the thief be found, let him pay double. So, what's that bank that just closed in <laughs> the Silicon Valley Bank? It just closed. And just before it closed, the CEOs and everything were selling their stocks and their shares for six months, maybe even more. They were selling all this stuff because they knew they were in trouble. We should be able to go after them. And all the money that they took out by selling that stock in advance should be taken from them because money was entrusted to them and they turned it into profit for themselves. But for the people who entrusted it to them, they're out. But they'll say, oh, but the government will cover it. The government will cover it. Okay. So we won't rise up in righteous indignation because the government will cover it. They'll bail them out. The government's bailing them out with your neighbor's money. Which is just going to cause more inflation. But you don't care. I'm getting my money. That's all I care about. That is because you are all perfect savages. You have degenerated into perfect savages. And you're not saved. Because you're not seeking the righteousness of God. You're worshipping the doctrines you have created. For yourselves. Have nothing to do with what Moses was saying. Nothing to do with what Christ said. I know it's hard to accept. But if you accept it. There is a solution. You have to. Turn around your thinking. Think a different way. Number eight. If the thief be found. Uh, be not found. Excuse me. We know where these guys are. So that we know who they are. Then the master of the house shall be. Brought unto the judges. To see whether he have put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. Well, of course, we know that the uh, the masters of the those banks that have just faced foreclosure, they knew this was coming. That's why they're selling stock. That's why they're bailing out. We see this time in Enron. All these guys, they knew it was coming. But nobody looks farther because you're not used to tending the weightier matters. Because you, you, you haven't even read this book correctly. You, you haven't read the Ten Statements correctly. And you got these guys out there worshipping their doctrines. You know, being their orthodox this and orthodox that. 
or imagining that they're saved because they say they believe in Jesus. They're not going to do the will of the Father. Here is the will of the Father. That you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Moses and Jesus said that. But nobody cares about the people who lost their money. And nobody cares about the people who are going to foot the bill. This is just back to the student loan thing. They're going to forgive our student loans. They're not forgiving your student loans. They're putting them on all the people who didn't, aren't stupid enough to take out the student loans. They're going to have to pay. And you're going to suffer for it eventually. But it just, you know, it's, it's like the Green New Deal, you know, and, and, uh, electric cars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, electric cars are not green. Now, I'm all for people exploring the technology. I'm not for government subsidies. Uh, the guy who's doing the best job, it seems like, in inventing an electric car, which is Tesla, he's not taking the subsidies. It's all the other guys. I'm not for that because I don't think that's going to bring innovation. But I, I, you know, Tesla's done a remarkable, remarkable job with the electric cars he's invented. Now, there's problems with it. They still run on coal for the most part. Because nobody, and even your wind generation, those windmills are all, that's steel. Uh, that was heavy coke furnaces, burning coal, that made those big wind generators. Even the carbon fibers that they're using, that's all taking a lot of power and energy. By the time that uh, windmill is done killing eagles <laughs> and other Bats and birds and insects and everything like that. By the time they're done, all that murderous mayhem and chaos. And actually starting to produce a positive amount of electricity. They're, uh, they need to be replaced. Now I think real technology, not subsidized government technology, could probably figure out a way that there are a lot of places where you could use wind generation. It's not the big eagle killers, but small. I know people who are using wind all the time to generate power. And uh, it's it's not as efficient as the power you get over the grid, but they're outside of the reach of the grid. They're farther out. And I'm all for creating those micro-grids because I'm also for creating micro-justice. It has to be not in the macro, but in the micro in the individual. Like I said, Jordan Peterson was talking, when I'm up there talking to a large crowd, I'm not talking to a large crowd. I'm talking to individuals in the crowd. Right now, I'm talking to individuals out there on the radio land. Because it's individuals who repent. Crowds don't repent. You might get a crowd of individuals who repent, but they repent individually. Altar calls are not where it's at. Most altar calls is just an emotional event. Sorry. Number nine. This is about trespass. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox or ass or for sheep or raiment or for any manner of lost thing. Your Nissan Centura. <laughs> Whatever it was. Which another challenges to be his. The cause of both parties shall come before the judges. Who are these judges it's coming before? Did you know that the word there is Elohim again? Lots of places like we saw back in 21. 
the judges. It'll come before the judges. That's what we saw up there in verse 8 as well. That was the judges. That's the gods, the Elohim, the people. That's actually is coming before the people who are going to decide fact and law. Hopefully, in those people, there is the divine spark. That connection between man and God where he's going to make a good judgment. Cain didn't make a good judgment. The people who followed Cain didn't make good judgments. And... Uh, there's more to that, but I'll just keep going here with this. So, the party show come before the gods of the court, and whom the gods shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. Again, that even I, I'll bet you if we look at that word double, I'll I'll go back and look at it. Maybe it'll be the, more notes on that. Is is double? Does that always mean double? Or does it mean more? More than it was. How much more? Should it always be double? Not necessarily. Depends on circumstance. That's where the the judgment of the righteous come in. Otherwise, we just have AI do all the judgment. Number 10. If a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass, an ox, a sheep, or a beast to keep... And it die, or be hurt, or driven away, no man seeing it. Then shall an oath of the Lord be between them both, that he hath not put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. And the owner of it shall accept thereof, and he shall not make it good. Because the guy who delivered it to him, you know, like, you you could... Uh, he says, can you, you know, I, I got this uh, really neat golden statue here that uh, somebody made for me. I got it as a gift, but I don't even have it placed because I'm going to be camping out for the next couple of weeks. Can I leave it with you? Sure, you can leave it with me. And then while you're gone, he says, somebody broke in and stole it. Well, maybe somebody broke in and stole it. Maybe somebody didn't. Maybe he hid it away himself. Maybe he melted it down. You know. So he has to oath. And the fact is you trusted him. If he says, I didn't steal it. Somebody actually must have saw you delivering it and they broke in and he's, and I swear I didn't steal it. You have to accept that. You can't go after him for it. Because you entrusted him. And he says, I didn't steal it. And if you think he, he did take it, don't entrust him anymore. You have that choice. But you can't punish him. You can't make him pay for it. That that just seems reasonable. Number twelve, and if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof. Now, wait a minute. It was stolen from him. He has to make restitution. Is that fair? Well, sometimes maybe he was careless. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he doesn't want to. Keep stuff. I mean, if it's those banks, yeah, they should make restitution. They said, oh, no, well, you know, it's, it's just been, you know, the bank gets robbed. You're, you guys are responsible. You, you said you could keep it safe. You can't keep it safe. You didn't keep it safe. You have to pay us back. But in every case, should he have to pay it back? Maybe he really was robbed. Maybe he was beat up. Maybe his family, they, they killed some of his family in stealing it. 
Now he has to pay you a restitution too? Well, he, this is where the jury comes in. Citing fact and law. Number 13. If it be torn in pieces, then let him bring it for a witness. And he shall not make good that which was torn. Now, how would that statement apply to what I just said before? It was stolen. But he has clear evidence that these guys busted in the door, beat my guard up, murdered the other guard, and here's his body. And do I still owe? No. He could prove that somebody really did break in and steal it. So, yeah. yeah he, he doesn't have to. And if a man borrow aught of his neighbor and it be hurt or die, the owner thereof being not with it, he shall surely make it good. So, if he was not with it, he shall surely make it good. That's talking about borrowing. Uh, number 15, let's cover that, and then we'll go back to something else. But if the owner thereof be with it, he shall not make it good. If it be a hired thing, it came for his hire. Okay. So, when they say there be with it or be not with it, in other words, in number 14, he wasn't being responsible. He wasn't taking care of it. And it died. And so that he could be held responsible. But if he was with it, and he was taking care of it, uh, and he was providing for it, and it still died, he can't be held responsible. And then when they talk about hired thing, well, now we're getting over into the area of rental property. If you rent something and through no fault of your own it breaks down, then you you didn't you don't owe anything. The the rental the money they receive for the rental is supposed to cover that. I actually hired somebody to cut hay for me on a small field. He was going to be driving right by and I said, Could you hay this two and a half acres of alfalfa? And he said, Sure. And he was going to charge me so much a ton. Well he drove into the field. He didn't go 20 yards into the field and all of a sudden something broke on his swather and he was gone. He was gone for a day, two days, three days, four days, five days. He came back, he finally fixed it, he got the part, he fixed it and he swathed it. He charged me for the time to fix the swather and for the tonnage. I said, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm paying you by the tonnage. The fact that you you know, he had just swathed hundreds and hundreds of acres. This is two and a half acres on the road on his way back. You can't, you can't charge me for your time down. It didn't break because it was in my field. It broke because you had hundreds of hours on it. <laughs> you know, oh, no, no. It broke in your field, so you're responsible. No. And I had even read this at that time. <laughs> But uh, that guy is, that guy actually is still around. He's such a thief. <laughs> but I won't mention any names on the air. But anyway, now the next section, this is not my heading, by the way. This is the heading that was in the, what is it, Bible Sword? I forgot the name of the program. <laughs> anyway, that was a heading, and I put it in here. But it says, Laws About Social Justice. And it starts at 16. So let's see what they're talking about. He says, if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her, 
he shall surely endow her to be his wife. And that that is an interesting thing. If you go to the actual Hebrew text, the word, and I noticed this when I was reading it this morning, the word there is mahar, which is mim, hey, resh. That, that's the basic word there. And it actually appears twice in, a, in this in this level of appearing twice, it, it basically that's how come they end up with this idea of surely endow. And the first one is basically the same same word. And this is a lot like surely it, it's the same kind of structure as you see when it says surely put to death, where you have the word appearing twice, once as the root word and then once with additional letters. And surely put to death, they add a yod at the beginning, which is the divine spark. And uh, they do something similar. I think they have a mim yod at the beginning of this. But I don't have it here, so I can't tell you. But uh, I'll put it into the page so that you can see it for yourself. So you don't have to look it up. I'm making it easy for you. But surely endow is actually two words. They're the same words, but they add extra letters to the second word, which they translate endow. Her to be his wife. If you just entice her, if you just sleep with her. This is the shotgun wedding precedent. But they, you know, people are sleeping with each other and they're cohabitating. Jordan Peterson has a very good approach to this and he talks about this cohabitation is bad. Anybody who does the cohabitation with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend, from then on, it is almost a guarantee that you will not have permanent relationships as husband and wife. Either with that partner or with your next partner. It undermines the idea of commitment forever in your life. You will constantly be battling that. It is a bad idea. It is a bad social practice. And Moses knew this, and he didn't even take the psychology courses that Jordan Peterson has. <laughs> that convinced Jordan Peterson. But he's telling you, no, you don't do the cohabitating. You either get married or you don't get married. Once you get married, then it's within this marriage thing. And, and he's seeing the value of this. And this is why I'm saying that these things, these are not laws they are describing what, literally, they're giving you lessons in human psychology that you need to do this. In verse 17, if her father utterly refused to give her unto him, which is possibly reasonable, he shall pay money according to the dowry of the virgin. He's going to have to pay money and he isn't going to get her. Because he has soiled her. But the, maybe the father knows this guy's a total jerk. I'm not going to give him. Now, what happens if he decides he doesn't want to do this? Do you have a police force that's going to go out and extract the money from him? No. But you can put him on the stoning list. <laughs> Gosh, what's stoning again? You can put him on remove him from the altar list. Because he slept with my daughter, who was a virgin. He enticed her and slept with my daughter and soiled her. So I say, I don't want him to marry her because I think he will just do her injustice for the rest of her life. And so now 
but I want him to pay the dower so that now that dowry should go to her. And if she ends up being pregnant on that issue, then it maybe goes to the father who's going to have to take care of the child. But uh, it could go. it's up to the father as to whether the dower goes to her. And then the next guy who finally decides to marry her, well, then she will come with a dower that this other guy had to pay. This is important because you, life is hard. Life is difficult. So now we're coming up to 18. That you're not to suffer a witch to live. <laughs> suffer a witch to live. Now that idea of suffer, we actually can find that in Hebrew New Testament. That uh, the Corbin of the Pharisees allowed sons not to take care of their parents. And in not taking care, because the state was going to do it. Through the temple. They were going to take care of your parents. There was a social security system. That's what the Corbin of the Pharisees was a, was a social social security system. And it it caused a lots of sons to do no more ought for their parents. And the Pharisees said, that's okay. We'll allow that. Yet, that not doing, or just doing less for your parents was slighting them. Which is what the word means back there in the Ten Commandments, or in the, it's actually in the statutes, that uh, the judgments, let's correct our terminology, the judgments that Moses is listing, that you are not to curse your father and your mother, which means to slight your father and your mother. But by the system of Corbin set up by Herod and the Pharisees, many sons were slighting their mother and father because they said, I gave to the temple. I don't want to have to give to my parents too. So if they need anything, they can go to the temple and get it. So he's doing no more ought for his parents. All these things, these burdens that Moses is putting on, the responsibility of taking care of, you know, not sleeping around and taking care of your daughters and protecting your daughters and protecting your sons and being responsible for your parents and all this stuff is strengthening the community. When you see systems creeping into society that removes that responsibility of tending to the weightier matters from the people, you know tyranny is coming. The, the, the he who ruined the Roman people was he who spread amongst them gifts, gratuities, and benefits. Because they took away the responsibility of daily sacrifice out of love for your neighbor. Because it's sacrifice that made America great. The willingness to sacrifice for one another is what made America great. The the modern socialist doesn't understand this. He actually says, when was America ever great? Well, he wouldn't know. Because he doesn't know what is great. So when they say, suffer a witch, and of course they have a word there that they translate into witch, which is... uh, The normal word that you see is also translated sorcerer, witch, witchcraft, the practice of witchcraft, the or of sorcery, etc. So it's saying saying this now exactly what that is. That's another whole story, and and we can address that in another place. But the actual word is kashaf, which is kuf shin pei, and that's actually what the word should be. But when we look there, we actually see 
Mim kuf shin pei hey. So there's actually more to the word there. And they're saying suffer to live. And the, even the word live there is slightly different. Te, uh, let's see, what is it? Tav, chet, yod, hey is the word that we actually see there. But the word that is actually should be there is just chet, yod, hey. But they put a tav on the beginning of that word. So there's more to that than, you know, and of course, now it's not the same thing in people, which is today. Although there is a correlation there to the word, but there's more going on there. But we don't really have time to go through that in great depth. And hopefully there's, chances are, in my opinion, there's not a lot of witches listening to this broadcast. <laughs> so, uh, and, and to live, what do they mean to live? What, what, what is that word to live? Like I said, they've added extra letters to it. Tov, letter of faith. So they're saying, maybe don't suffer them to live by faith. Don't suffer them to be a part of our altars, which are altars of faith. That they can still live, but we're not going to support them. We're not going to provide for them. We're not going to go out and kill them. We're not going to put them to death. We're not going to burn them at the stake like the false Christians eventually did do some of that. But they can't be a part of our system. They'll have to, they just have their own system. You know, I'm sure they'll find lots of other witches who want to take care of them in their old age and that's fine. You know, that's what people always talk about the LGBT community. They don't have a community. They depend upon the community. You know, there's so many of these people that don't have jobs. They don't take care of themselves. They're on welfare. They don't have a community of people that take care of them. They depend upon the community of the hardworking people out there. That burden. So, again, I'll give you a little hint on witchcraft. is those people who try to circumvent the laws of God <laughs> with some sort. I mean, it could be pharmaceutica. You know, we're going to fix it and we don't have, we're not answerable to God. And so that's, that's another whole thing. But number 19, whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. Well, again, put to death, what surely be put to death. That, that's again those words. I should bring that over and put that there so you can see that I could bring it over from 21 and and show you the actual words there. I'll have to double check the Hebrew text, but I'm pretty sure that's the same. Mut, yad, mut. It doesn't mean we're going to go out and kill them. But it does mean that they're not going to have any part of our altars. Uh, they're not going to have any part of our reserve fund, which is in the pockets of the people. Number 20. He that sacrificeth unto any god save unto the Lord only he shall be utterly destroyed Yahoram is what we actually see in the text the word that we see that is translated destroyed is translated exterminate it's charam chet resh mim it is translated exterminate but it's also translated to ban. They should be utterly banned. It's actually also translated devote. And you would have to go and find out where it's translated devote and if they add certain other letters to it. And actually they do. They add a yod at the beginning. 
and uh, that a man shall devote unto the Lord. But it means set apart. It doesn't mean we actually go out and destroy them or kill them or put them to death. It means we ban them. Again, that's back to the idea of the altars. He can't go to the altars anymore. He's banned. He's, he's not a part of our system. He is set apart from us. He's not set apart because he's holy. He's set apart because he's not holy. <laughs> okay. So, it's important to understand these differences. And why this is so utterly destroyed. That, that could lead you to think, oh, we gotta go out and get rocks and start stoning them to death. And the word there is that same with Yod first. Where you have the, the Yod, Chet, Resh, Mem. But it means set apart. It doesn't mean destroy. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. So what do you mean by strangers? They were treated as foreigners in the land. They were still... 20% of their labor belonged to the government, but they weren't really, you know, part of us. I'm sure there was a lot of intermarrying going on, and there was a lot of friendships, and a lot of interactions, and stuff like that. But the government-wise, oh, these are the Israelites. They came in during the famine. And then eventually, they just forgot all about how they came in, and how the only reason Egypt survived was because one of these guys is the one who was Joseph. And they started out pretty good in Goshen, but then things changed. Who knew not Joseph? So anyway, we're not to vex or oppress. Now, this morning, on this morning's show, and you can go back, it'll be the last show under 21. You know, I talked about the Samaritan Bible and showed how some of the Hebrew text that the Masoretic text gave us, and I've added to the Masoretic page, you can go study about it. There's a lot of people that are very suspicious of the Masoretic text. For the most part, it's probably pretty accurate. But they know that there was a lot of texts out there, Hebrew Bibles, that were not all the same. And from about 700 to about 1100 A.D., there were the Masoretic Jews going through and trying to figure out which copies we use. Many of those copies are lost. We don't even have them anymore. But they eventually came up with what we call the Masoretic text. We know there are some of those older copies that don't match up with the Masoretic text. And one of them is the Samaritan one. And the, those words we see surely be put to death aren't in the Masoretic text, at least in some of the verses, because I went and I went back and looked at it. They have another set of phrases in there that is about vengeance and oppression. Surely they, there shall be vengeance and oppression. But it doesn't say put to death. It doesn't have the words put to death in there. Because I don't really believe that the Hebrew words that we see in these texts should be put to death. And I gave the explanation this morning because the first place we see these words being used is that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, surely you will be put to death. And it actually says will die. But it's the same Hebrew word. But you didn't die. You are excluded from the tree of life. So I don't believe that Moses is setting everybody up. And I'm repeating it here. Yeah, we talked about it this morning. But I'm repeating it here for those who didn't listen to the morning show. That Moses was not creating a system where you all were becoming little darn Hammurabis and Cain's. 
going around and putting your neighbor to death because he didn't do things exactly the way you interpret the Bible. No, he isn't doing that. He's saying, cut them off from the altars. And it, they can come back later and make recompense and say, well, I'm sorry and I'd like to come back. And you got to let them in because you got to forgive. It's part of the deal. But you're not supposed to be oppressing him. You're not certainly not supposed to be putting him to death. You're not to be putting him in the bondage of Egypt. And you have to remember that when you're making the judgment. Okay, like this guy stole this car and uh, he didn't really do any harm, but he brought it back. And does he owe him two cars now? Does he owe him a car and a half? Well, if he was the guy who went and took the guy to the hospital and saved his life, or hopefully saved his life, if that's where you should go when you have a heart attack. I don't know. But anyway, uh, are you going to make him pay a car too? You're going to say, oh, is that why you took it? Yeah, I was looking around to see if you were ever around, but nobody was here. And it was the only vehicle around with the keys in it. So I, and I had to get him there to help her. Maybe he was bleeding real bad. And I think I, think I got a little blood on the back of your seat. He's, oh, that's okay, Joe. I think that was great. You saved his life. Good, good for you. I'm glad you were able to use my car. You're not going to make a pay two cars. Absolutely not. That would not be just. That would be oppression. <laughs> but it would be according to the Orthodox law. He took it. He took it. You can, you can get an extra car out of the deal. How many guys are thinking that? Well, no. Not, not righteous men. Unrighteous men who have unmoored the meaning of the so-called statutes which, statutes which are just judgments. Yeah, they're going to come up with all kinds of injustice. I can make some money on this deal. Yeah. No. 22. Ye shall not afflict any widows or fatherless child. Now, that's interesting. They say fatherless child because a lot of people are fatherless, but they're not a child. <laughs> but any widow. And I have given many stories, and I could I could give you hundreds of them, of widows that their husband died, they couldn't pay the property tax, and the land was taken from them by men who had all kinds of money. They they bought it at auction and evicted the woman, and that's pretty much afflicting the widow, and that happens all the time in America. Thousands and thousands of times in America. But don't worry, folks. You're saved by the blood of Jesus because you went to church and said you love Jesus. You're not attending to the weightier matters. You're not, you're, you're actually a part of a system that oppresses widows and orphans. But you're saved, right? No, not right. You're kidding yourself. You're fooling yourself. You need to repent. You need to take back your responsibility. All your rights are disappearing. Because you're not following the ten statements. You're not following the way. And you need to repent. If thou afflict them, that widows and fatherless child, in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. Now, how many times have I talked to you about, I'll probably put some links into this. I'm reminding myself. How do you get God to hear your cries? Maybe you're one of those widows who were workers of iniquity. And God's not going to hear you. Because he says, I'm not going to hear you in that day. 
How do you get God to hear you? Very simple. You have to hear the cries of others. You have to forgive so that you can be forgiven. You have to hear the cries of others so that God will hear your cries. That's simple. How do you hear their cries? You Well, you can just put your hands over your ears and say, well, I didn't hear anything, and you hum. <laughs> or you can sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and try to be of service one to another. To learn to live by faith, hope, and charity. That's that's it. That's it. Simple. Not not hard to explain. Hard to get people to listen. <laughs> not hard to explain. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with a sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. That's what's going to happen for what you have already done. Because you've been oppressing the widows and orphans regularly. It's a matter of law that you do it. The best I've seen is they say, well, you don't have to pay property tax. We won't take it away from you. But we will keep adding on to the bill. And when you finally die, nobody will be able to buy the property until they pay us back all that back taxes. But we didn't oppress you right now. Well, you oppressed the child because he's not going to inherit because, you, you know, if they sell the property, you got to pay all that back money. And that's only in a few states who do that. But still, they're still oppressing the father's child. Because, I mean, any any state, any country that has an inheritance tax is suppressing the fatherless child. Inheritance tax are all that is suppressing. And you have that everywhere. That is just, that is just, that's worse than the pandemic. So, you're already, the handwriting is on the wall. It's coming. What you have to do now is repent and seek the kingdom of God. In order to repent, you have to see that the way you've been thinking ain't right. And the way you need to think is different. And then what we're doing is showing you how you need to think. and Which is exactly what Christ was saying. Sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That simple. If you're not doing that, you're not following Christ and you call yourself a Christian, but you're kind of taking the name in vain. If you're still going to men who exercise authority one over the other and making them your benefactor at the expense of your neighbor, you're pretty much doing the opposite of what Jesus Christ said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you're not a Christian. You're delusional. It's a strong delusion, but you're still delusional. Verse 24. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with a sword and your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless, which we just read <laughs> twice. But it's, it bears witness twice so that you know you know, if I say it three times, oh, that will really be bad. But, verse 25, If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as a usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. So, based on that reading, usury is still okay as long as you're lending to people who have more money than you. 
<coughs> That's interesting. And of course, most people that put their money in the bank and loan to big corporations, they can do that. But they should be using a credit union. Because if they're using a regular bank, that bank and the CEOs of that bank are making a profit. And when the bank is about to go under, they'll sell their shares and leave you high and dry. So you shouldn't be doing that. But if you were in a credit union or one of these other institutions in other countries, they call them different things, you could do that. You could lend money at usury. But of course, it's not really usury in a credit union because it's not for profit. You could do it for profit, but technically it's not for profit because a credit union can't make profit. What a credit union can do is forgive debt. And if it accidentally makes a profit by loaning to those big corporations, <laughs> it can forgive more debt of the poor who are depositing in the bank, in the credit union. I shouldn't say bank. But a credit union is like a bank, but it's not. We'd already have a credit union running if you guys could have got together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start actually seeking the kingdom of God like Christ said to do. We could have already had one. That would be way more stable than the banks that you see closing. But uh, you haven't been sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And you're also not working to get this message out to all the other people. There's some of you are. But a lot of you are, are still floundering around trying to figure out, oh, but it's so different and I have to take back my responsibilities. And Yeah. You don't take your responsibilities back. You can't be free. That's just, that's just it. There's nothing you can do to get around that. 26, if thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, thou shalt deliver it unto him by the same sun goeth down. So, uh, how would that translate out? I mean, like, the raiment, that could be your house. You could take, you could put somebody's house up for collateral. Well, they gotta have, you may be able to do that. But they get to live in the house while it's collateral. And uh, you can't take that away from them. And there's other ways that could translate. I just mentioned that so you get a little bit of a feel. But again, all these judgments are trying to give you an idea, a sense of justice for people who haven't thought about this and all this stuff. But the critical thing is that you don't have the right to decide fact and law now. Because you're already in the bondage of Egypt. So you got a lot more turning around to do than a lot of you wanted to think. But that's the good news. Because now you know. Now you know what to do. 27, for that is his covering only. That, you know, his garment, whether it's his house or his garment. It is his raiment for his skin wherein shall he sleep. You know, you don't want to put people out on the streets. They would end the homeless. If you, if we were doing this system, you would have almost no homeless whatsoever. Uh, th- this is the key to ending homeless in America, is to get back to these principles of righteousness. It'll be a rough trip, but that that is the key. And it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me that I will hear, for I am gracious but only if he actually cares about others. 
So, I mean, you can cheat an awful lot of people and get away with it, but don't cheat a man who's seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So anyway, it goes on in 28, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the rulers of thy people. And that word revile, it's actually, it's got a double lamad in it. It's double lamad kuf tov. And the tov is added on. Double lamad is always there. Double lamad kuf is the actual word. And you're not to revile them. And so what does that mean? To slight them. To trifle with them. Uh, Wait wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that that, uh, the same word that uh, we see? You know, cursing parents? You're not supposed to curse your parents, trifle with, revile your parents. Well, yeah, that is the same word. Most of the time, that word that we see translated revile, it is the same word as curse. You're not to curse the gods. Who are those gods? Elohim. And there's lots of them. The gods many. You're not supposed to curse them or trifle them. In other words, you're not supposed to be cheating on your income tax. If you owe your tax, you should pay your tax. You you shouldn't be sneaking around the back doors trying to get away with things while you're still a member. You shouldn't be doing that. Now, I'm not a policeman. I'm not going to arrest you or anything. But it's going to be more difficult to gain where you need to be if you do that. And I've dealt with people like this for years and years and years. It doesn't do you well. There's a cause and effect that will affect you even then. You can say, it's it's not really the way to go about this. It says, or curse the rulers. Curse is a different curse altogether. That's Tehor, which is Tav again. No, Tav Elif Resh. Ah, that would make more sense. Tav Elif Resh, which is, Tav is the letter of faith. Elif is uh, the uh, connection between God and man. But Resh is this authority, and the order makes a difference. Curse, and most often it is curse, but the original root word does not have the Tav in it. It is basically Resh, Resh, Elif. And it has a double Resh in it. It's not normal to have a double letter in it, although there are some words that are said to have double letters in them. But uh, they're not, they've kind of become root words. But the double letters almost always mean on more than one level that you're doing this. And you'll find that word that we see as Resh Resh Elif written many, many, many times, but not with the double resh next to each other. They'll put another letter between them. Uh, one common letter they put between them is the vav. They divide those two reshes up. They don't always do it, but they often do it. But anyway, it's translated curse almost all the time. You be cursing things or cursing a woman or cursing a man or utterly curse. There's all kinds of different translations to it. But again, they're adding different letters to it. And in this case, like I said, the extra uh, Tav, which they put at the beginning again. So anyway, but in the second curse, it's Tav, Elif, Resh, and they don't have the the double Resh here. They only have the single Resh. Now there is a 
thing that they do from time to time where if a letter is uh, at the end, it can be assumed that they actually mean a double resh. This is one of the things that I, in studying Hebrew, is that this will be the argument that a lot of people say, well, that's, there's a rule that says that that's not the case, and there's a rule that says that that's not a case. And the reason, they have a multitude of rules on these extra letters, saying, oh, well, the, you can use this letter, or you can use that letter, and it does the same thing, or it doesn't matter, and all this stuff. And all these rules, the reason they have to have so many rules, is they're navigating around the obvious way where each letter is representative of an idea. And if you're in the Holy Spirit and reading these letters just in a string, because a lot of times they're in a string, you can't even see spaces between them, you, you can actually be led to read them. And when I was a printer, I learned to read backwards and upside down because all the type you were looking at was backwards and upside down. Because <laughs> you're, you're looking at it in reverse. And I can read as fast in, in a mirror as some people can read regularly. And, and we do the same thing in our minds. You know, you've seen it where somebody will put all the words of a sentence or a paragraph in each individual, you know, all the letters for each of those words in there. The first letter and the last letter will be the actual correct letters. All the letters in between the first letter and last letter will be jumbled up. They're the same letters for that word, but they're jumbled up. And you look at it, and a lot, some people look at it, and they can't make out a single word. They cannot figure out any of them. But other people will look at it and they can read the sentence even though all the letters in between the first and last letter of each word is jumbled up. They can read the whole paragraph right on through. Some take a little bit of practice but there's a lot of people who can just read it. I can do it. I can. I can cause, but that's jumbling them up. Well, you can't jumble them up in Hebrew because they have meaning in Hebrew. So you have to actually you start to see the words like blink into place with a meaning of their own. And I, I'm not really that good at it, but I, I can see where that is what the original Hebrew was all about. But then along came people like the Masoretic text guys and, uh, and Orthodox guys, and then they look at jots and tittles. They had to put them all in there. And they try to fabricate a meaning out of these words that fits their orthodoxy. And so I come along and say, no, that isn't the way it is. And they're not going to like that. And so I have to look up and put in all these little things and say, but ultimately it comes down to, should you be robbing the widows and orphans? Are you in the bondage of Egypt? Are you oppressing your neighbor? Are you coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority? Are you willing to take a bite out of your neighbors so that you can have free stuff? Are you just ignoring the injustices of your community because you think you're already saved? That's what it comes down to. So you just have to start figuring that out. And figuring it out in a righteous sort of way. In this 28, there's, you're not to be reviling the gods, the Elohims, or cursing your rulers, the leaders of your people. And, and that same, see, they're not going to say cursing the gods, because that word that they translate revile here is normally translated curse. But they have a different word curse in there for cursing the rulers. It's a completely different word. And it means something different. And then, of course, they add an extra letter. So I'll just leave it to you to figure out what the heck that means. But 
the fact is is that if you owe the tax, pay the tax. If you owe the the labor, if you owe the service, pay the service. But turn around your thinking and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 29. Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors. The firstborn of thy sons shalt thou give unto me. And of course you can redeem those sons by some sort of offering. You don't actually have to give your firstborn son. That's that was from the beginning we explained all that. Why you could always redeem your donkeys because nobody wants to eat your donkey. <laughs> and nobody wants to eat your son either. But the idea is you have to start the flow of contributions to men who don't exercise authority but actually exercise charity. Those ministers that want to serve the people. And have that servant heart. And of course, like I said, you can look at Timothy and Titus and stuff uh, and see who you should. They should be husbands of one wife and have a family that's somewhat in order, etc., etc. But you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and fifties and hundreds and thousands, depending on how many people you are, and start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then you, then you have to sort out, you have to make the choices as to who your ministers are. Thirty. Likewise shalt thou do with thine ox and with thy sheep. Seven days it shall be with his dam. On the eighth day thou shalt give it me. And he shall be holy men unto me. Neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field. Ye shall cast it to the dogs. And so animals that are killed in the field you're not supposed to eat. There's other animals they say that you're not supposed to eat. You know, you're not supposed to eat meat with blood in it and everything. Now, they're going to put all this under food laws, but these are all symbolic. If you're not to eat meat with blood in it, what does that mean? If the, because see, the, the pagan temples, they force the contributions of the people. They, they take the meat of their contributions from the people by force. There's still blood in it. They haven't given it up freely. They've get, it was taken from them for, for by force. So eating any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field. Beasts in the field, what is that? Souls in the field. Living souls in the field. We we talked about that back then when we were looking at Genesis. Because you you had all the animals going on in the ark and all this stuff. But they talked about the beasts of the fields. Well, wait a minute. The the, the two by two animals, the the seven by animals, and then who's the beast of the fields? And you look at the actual Hebrew there, and it's living souls of the fields. <laughs> so, what does that mean? Who who's that? Those guys? Well, I'm not even going to tell you. But you're not supposed to eat now beasts of the field. That would be people that aren't at your altars. They're outside of your altars. They're not a part of your system. But it was robbed. Spoils of war. Spoils of fighting with other people. Or, or You're not supposed to go out and rob other people. You know, the, there's a lot of Jews that think, well, we can charge interest if they're not a part of us. And they have a whole rationale of that. And, and we can take advantage of people who are, you know, the Goya, etc., etc. No, 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 no. You can't eat of the flesh torn 
from the beasts of the field. You can't eat meat with blood in it. You shall cast it to the dogs. You let them do that. You don't do that. You don't profit. You're supposed to be priests to all nations. You're not supposed to be eating of them and biting of them and charging usury of them. You're supposed to be blessing them with the ways of God. But you don't even bless each other with the ways of God because you don't know the ways of God because you don't understand the Ten Statements. But hopefully everybody understands them now. So what I was going to bring up, it was in my notes on listening to them in their Exodus 10 series. About 50 minutes in, I, I was saying that they were talking about the gods, many and monotheistic gods. But if you don't understand that God's in office, then you're going to have a problem. Uh, the reason there is a monotheistic God is because there is a singularity. And the ruling judge that is built into the kingdom of creation that was established by the God of nature. I mean, the, all the laws are already there. He's not making up new ones. They're already there. They're already in place. And the ten statements are trying to show you how that effectively works in the relationships of man to man and man to God. So that you keep the divine spark alive between you and God. And you learn to move from what the Holy Spirit tells you, what the tree of life is telling you, as it flows in this inspiration of God in you. So, yeah, that's a monotheistic. But there are other gods. There are gods many. That ye also are gods, but only in a limited capacity. Should be, and you shouldn't be making covenants and giving other men the, the, the power to decide good and evil for you. But, in the course of this, they led into this part about the talking about anger. It almost becomes an identity in you. And we talked about that. The darkness that comes into your heart when you have trauma. And, in other words, you don't want to see... We In this morning show, you go back and listen to this morning show. When you don't want to see the truth about a traumatic event that happens in your life, whether you were responsible for it or not, but it was a painful, traumatic event. You don't want to look at it. It creates a dark spot in your mind where you just won't go. And in that, a personality can develop. If you're, there's a lot of anger in you, and especially if there's a lot of anger that you also shove off into that part of your mind, it can develop a personality of its own, just like a schizophrenic personality that manifests itself in a person on an outward base. It doesn't manifest on an outward base, but it begins to pull the strings of your own mind from inside. There's a place in you that harbors that anger and resentment that was was instilled and fused into you by the trauma of abuse by a parent, an uncle, or or your fourth grade school teacher. <laughs> I've talked about Mrs. Powers before. But... Uh, Anyway, uh, that's still in there. And until you deal with it, it will come out in your relationships with other people. It's, it's like an identity. And this is where people get the idea that there are demons. I'm not saying there aren't demons. But it, even if there weren't demons, you would literally create the demon in these dark spots of your mind. And they will repeat that anger pattern over and over again. It'll come back to you in dreams and what have you. And you're not even aware of it because you never look in that room. In your, in the, in your mind. In the, that part of the tree of knowledge. You don't look there because it's too painful. And so it can grow and fester inside you. 
and it can influence everything on the outside that you do see. But all of a sudden, you don't know why. Why am I doing this to my poor daughter? Why am I doing this to my poor son? Why am I doing this to my husband, to my wife, to my neighbor? Because there's anger in you. And anger is one of the stronger ones. There's fear. Fear and anger are actually the same thing. It's just different ways of manifesting the same thing. But there's patterns in anger. There's patterns in fear. Psychological, mental, spiritual, whatever you want to call But there are patterns like frequencies. A frequency of anger. And it vibrates in your mind. And it's like dead meat. It draws the flies of demons that love anger. Wallow in anger. Bathe in anger. And they can come in and influence you. Now, if you don't believe in the demons, believe in the psychological reality that people can have split personalities, some of which manifest themselves so we see them, or all of a sudden somebody... What was that uh, show? I can't even remember what the name of it was. It's kind of creepy. But uh, the guy had all these different personalities and other... It can manifest itself openly, like it did in the guy in the show, or it can do it subconsciously. And influence and actually destroy every relationship you have. I love this guy. I love this gal. And then all of a sudden everything went apart. I have no idea why. Because of the dark places in your heart and in your mind. That are influencing you. Like demons from hell. Okay. So we, we know that. So it cultivates anger, jealousy, envy. All these things that we call vices. Remember vices are simply the absence of virtue. Virtue is like light. It shines against the darkness. But vices are the darkness where the light can't get. And it can't get there because of trauma. And because of trauma, you don't look there. You don't bring the light of your awareness. That's what makes you uniquely human. Is the fact that you can look at your hand and be aware of your hand. Or at least the image of your hand is projected in the back of your eye. But you can actually lay your hand down by your side. And you can feel and draw a picture of your hand without your eyeballs. Just by feeling it. Which is part of the meditation we teach. Which is also at preparing you. But in that being aware of that, what happens when you try to wait upon the Lord, being aware of yourself sitting there, those dark places bubble information into the screen of your mind. And you see it. Don't judge it. Don't be angry at it. Just observe it. And let go of it. And go back to waiting upon the Lord. Every time you do that, you begin to explore those dark recesses of your own mind. You also explore the dark recesses of your own mind when you deal with people. You know, maybe your father was cruel to you, your brother was cruel to you, and he's dead now. So there's no way to go to him and say, I forgive you, brother. Uh, You know, I forgive you, dad, uh, because they're gone. And it's easy to say, not so easy to do. But there's somebody like your dad, like that uncle, like that guy who molested you. There's somebody like that person who may come into your life. You get to forgive them. And occasionally you'll see the characteristics of those guys who abused you coming out in your relationships with other people. Well, this is where you get to forgive yourself and realize, that's not really me. I'm not really like that. I don't want to be like that. 
But I am like that. It's because I didn't forgive Mrs. Powers in the fourth grade. <laughs> so once you forgive Mrs. Powers in the fourth grade, you can let that go. And so there's lots of different ways where you do this forgiving and healing the trauma. And uh, But I'll, I'll save some of the other stories for another time. But their discussion came into the altars of Abel and Cain. Because Cain rose up in jealousy and killed his brother. And Prager has a real hard time understanding this. Uh, what they're talking about. And of course they're still having a hard time because they didn't quite understand it. What they didn't understand, I will share with you now. Because we got five minutes to go to the end of this hour. They're saying, well, we don't really know why Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable. And, and why he rose up with jealousy. Well, I'll read one line to you. Genesis 4, 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, and we can look at the Hebrew at another time, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Rule over who? Rule over sin. And doeth well. Doeth well with what? What was the difference? And people will tell you all kinds of things. Uh, the difference between Cain and Abel. Abel was a shepherd of flocks. There's a way in which you take care of sheep. You don't force them. If you if you want a lamb to go down an alleyway towards its mother's going out, we have we're in the middle of lambing. So when you let the mothers out, the lamb should follow their mother. But they're used to being in a little pen because they were just born and they learned to suck. And when they seem to have that their hand on things, you let them out. And the mother wants to go out to the field and she starts going down the alleyway, out the door, and the lamb doesn't know to follow yet. He hasn't gone anywhere with her yet. He just was born a day before, maybe. And so you, you push him to follow his mother. He immediately will try to turn around and go back. Because you pushed him. He doesn't want to go because you push him. He resists being pushed. He, he will, if you want him to go down there, you do not push him down the alley. Now, I, I still push him from time to time. But I push him closer so they can get a hold of their mother. And usually I, I time it so, because the mother will come back and bath for the lamb. If she's a good mother, she'll come back and say, you didn't follow me. Bah, come follow me. And you, you nudge her towards your mom and then she suddenly comes into focus. She hasn't seen much farther than the pen. She just got born. But now all of a sudden she has to see down the alleyway and she says, Oh, that's that big thing, that's my mom. She's not in that little pen. I'm not I'm not born to the pen, I'm born to this thing that's bang to me. So now it will follow the mom when it gets the idea. And so I push it till it follows the mom. But basically, you don't push sheep, you don't force sheep, and Abel did not force the sacrifices of the people. But Cain 
plowed the Adama. You have to remember, Adam and Eve were formed out of the Adama. And like the apostles, God breathed life into them and said, replenish the earth. But they were actually to be priests and kings to all the world, like God. The representatives of God. But instead, they ate of the tree of knowledge and tried to decide for themselves. But originally, that's what they were supposed to do. But Cain was plowing the Adama, forcing the contributions of the people. Now, you can do that. God allows that. He doesn't encourage it. He warns against it. Samuel warned against it. But if you're the ruler, you can do that. But you have to be like the good servant and say, how much do you owe? I owe this much. How much can you pay? I can only pay this much. Pay in full. Different kind. Still going there. He has a system. It's not completely voluntary, but it's not by force and oppression. What's happened now is people have taken the biblical text and they justify forcing their neighbors to contribute to their welfare. Because you should. So we've hired men who exercise authority and go up by steps to force the contributions of the people. That's going to only end badly. That is is the way it's going to be. And now if you repent and start voluntarily, creating a voluntary society of faith-open charity, with its own network, its own connections, its own system of charity, not dependent upon the ways of the world, God will provide a basra for you. But if you won't do that, uh, lots of luck. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, they didn't understand what what was not acceptable. If Cain had run his system benevolently, like the good servant that Christ talks about that goes and forgives debt. It would be okay. But he wasn't into the forgiveness business. He was, and so therefore, he was drawn into jealousy and anger. Drawn into jealousy and anger. Just the same as that if you create a system of faith, hope, and charity, you will be drawn into sacrifice and love. Which is what God is. The God of creation sacrificed to create you. Gave up of himself. Gave you the right to choose. You're going to lose the right to choose if you don't give the right to choose to others. So you have to gather together with others who want to give you the right to choose and you want to give them the right to choose and you want to learn to care about them and you want them to learn to care about you. And if you get together and do that, God will be in your midst. But until then, all I can say is peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, 
Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.